Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Sunday Take on uh, News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Bloy Solson. It is Sunday, January 29th, 2023, and we have a great show for you. We'll have Peter Callahan from MinPost uh, talking about the bounce in Governor Wall's step and the pace of this session. And we'll have the first interview with Willie Jett, the new education commissioner. But a little special open here. I want to give a little shout out to Shaletta and an event she has coming up uh, this coming Friday at the Capitol. Shaletta Brundage, how are you this morning? I am good, Blois Olson. Thank you for having me on your show. This is such a treat. Well, you know, since I've never been on your show, I figured I'd have you on my show. But Oh, wait, no, no. You were on my show. Roe v. Wade, I called you in as an expert. Did you all forget right, that? Right. Okay. I saw how quickly I forget. But let's let's dive in. You've organized Black Entrepreneur Day at the Capitol. What inspired it, and what are you hoping to accomplish? I was on a panel um, that Comcast had assembled. You know, they had the Comcast Rise yep. Grant. And uh, they had all the 100 business owners that they had given $10,000 to, um, a million total, in a room. We were celebrating, and it was me and the uh, deed commissioner and the president of the first black bank and another lady whose name escapes me. And so, you know, we were just talking about the legislature and the surplus and the monies and how that could be used to help black business owners. And Commissioner uh, Steve said, you know, I want everybody in the room to call their legislator this week and let them know what they can do to help your business. And I said, you know, that is not going to make as much of an impact as if everybody in this room went marching up to the Capitol and we had a special day for African-American entrepreneurs to let our legislators know that when they're breaking up this billion dollar budget, that they need to be thinking about black businesses. And everybody in the room stood up and the commissioner was like, oh, that'll be nice. I was like, oh, honey, you don't know me. That'll be next week. Yeah, we'll be doing this very, very soon. Yeah. <laughs> so um, two things, two things. Is there a specific legislation to help business owners of color? And then I want to talk to you about other business issues at the Capitol. So this is what we want to accomplish um, for, for the Black Entrepreneurs Day, which is February 3rd at 1030. That's a Friday in the rotunda um, is we want our legislators to listen to our unique concerns, because there are issues that African-American business owners face that other businesses don't. And we're talking about capital and not just financial capital, but social capital, 
you know, a lot of our communities don't have banks. There's predatory lenders out there. We don't have access to startup capital. And there's nobody that we can call. I didn't even know this, Blois, but there are no real eyes and ears at the Capitol to let black business owners know, hey, there's a finance committee hearing coming up. Uh, you need to get on the docket to speak. These are the legislators who are going to be deciding, you know, what, what happens to business yeah. owners. So I want us to get up there so our legislators can listen to our concerns and then tell us what's available. Because you can't give us what we don't need and we can't ask you for what you don't have. So we need to have a conversation so that we can figure out what the ask even is. All right, Shaletta, there's a lot of business issues at the Capitol. One is paid family leave and in, in addition to the unemployment tax. Um, and the city of Minneapolis recently, you know, started sending out grants to help business owners of color to be in compliance. When you talk about kind of the, the mechanics of operating and the regulations, is that another place where clarity is, is required? What we need is, um, you know, the infrastructure, and we need the information. For me, this opportunity, Black Entrepreneurs Day, is all about access and information. A lot of us don't have access to our legislators. You know, we don't have access to this information. And, and so it's, it's bridging that gap um, and, and making sure that people have the access and then know what's available to them and, and how they can go about getting it. You know, a lot of times for black entrepreneurs, boys, by the time we find out about money that is earmarked for business owners, we're reading about it in the paper and it is too late. It's already been decided. It's already been handed out. And we got to mark something for next year so we can apply. We might not have a business next year. And so, you know, this is empowering. It is um, uh, unity. And, you know, I want to make sure that people know that this is not just for black business owners. We need our allies, too. You have never seen Dr. King in a march with just black people. There are Jewish people and Muslim people and white people and Hispanic people and Asian people, and they are all marching together. So this cannot just be an event for black business owners and black people. This is an event for everybody because when we do well, our entire community does well. Shaletta, next Friday, 10.30 a.m. at the Capitol. This I'm, Friday, this Friday, I know, 10.30 I know. a.m. February 3rd. February 3rd. All right, we'll see you there. When we come All back right. on WCCO, we'll have Peter Callahan from MinPost breaking down a crazy week in the legislature and what's coming next. I'm Blois Olson. This is Sunday Take. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Joining me now is MinPost Peter Callahan. Uh, he had a great story this week about kind of the bounce in Governor Wall's step and the spirit of the governor and kind of the pace of the legislature. Peter, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Good to be here. So uh, what's your assessment as somebody who's watched this institutional legislature and this governor and kind of the mood of, you know, of the of the Capitol right now? Well, the difference between a divided legislature and a politically united legislature is pretty impressive and stark, meaning you don't have to hold hostages anymore uh, this year. You know, when the R's ran the Senate and the DFL ran the House, everything was a hostage. Everything is leverage that you hold on to as long as you can. So nothing passes early and you hold on to everything for conference and beyond. They don't have to do that anymore. And they have a pretty set, agreed-upon agenda. And why wait? So we are, what, um, just barely four weeks in? Yep. And they're passing uh, a a lot of their uh, most significant legislation. Uh, The carbon-free bill, the abortion bill goes to gov already. Uh, Other things. The only thing that holds them back is if it has to go to multiple committees. So say the uh, recreational marijuana bill that has to go to multiple committees. If it didn't, they'd be passing that by now, too. And then there's all this money. I think people now think that this is normal to have this much money yeah. because because we've, they've had it for like the last three sessions since uh, the pandemic. Um, but it's incredibly unusual to have this much money where you don't really have to say no to anyone. One of the things that I'm wondering is you talked about leverage and specifically in the Senate, any one DFL senator has leverage. So when we start to get to the budget or those pieces, the next tax bill, there is a chance that senators start to exert some leverage. We Obviously, Social Security tax is one of the pieces. You think there's other issues that one or two senators could start to have some leverage on the negotiation? Yeah, every. I mean, if you're you're stupid, if you're not um, getting what you want from your caucus, if you're the one vote and everybody is the one vote. Um, but as I said before, it's easy to meet the needs and desires of people when you have seventeen point six billion dollars. And so, just for instance, I think Senator Hoffman, who chairs the uh, uh, Human Services Committee, uh, he is going to want significant uh, spending on long term care. Uh, there was not a lot of that in the governor's budget. Um, there will be by the time they get to a Senate budget. 
so the, you know, so he'll insist on significant spending there. He and Jim Abler are very close. They trade the gavel uh, when the party control changes. But you see a lot of the bills in this area are co-sponsored by the two of them. So that's an area where uh, he, I think, will insist on that. But again, it's not that hard. You don't have to say no to somebody else in order to say no to Senator Hoffman on that spending. As we wrap here, where what are the issues that there could be or need to be some compromise? Obviously, the one bill that Governor Wallace has announced this week was the bonding bill, and he's got a kind of a cash and credit combo in there. Um, that bill usually needs two-thirds, but he's basically saying we can spend a bunch of money without two-thirds. Does that help them? spend more because Republicans are less, if Republicans want a project, they're, they're going to go along with the cash credit combo. Yeah. And it's, it's slightly easier, but still hard at 60%. Um, so three fifths by my math. Um, it's, uh, th- that's a fairly clever way that the governor is doing that. So you're going to do $900 million in cash. Well, that's where you put all the stuff where you know that Republicans would not be supportive of. And then you put uh, the $1.4 billion in geo bonds that need a 60% majority. And that's where you put the stuff that Republicans tend to support, uh, higher education, roads and bridges, um, the sewer and water infrastructure type things. And then the toys that some of them may want to be the votes that they need to pass that. The question is, do they go along with that little, uh, <clears throat> I won't call it a ruse, but a pretty clever way of doing things? Uh, and sort of overlook the fact that they weren't involved in the $900 million and another several hundred million dollars in revenue bonds, which don't take a 60% majority, will they be willing to go along? Uh, but that's the kind of thing, again, that like the old days, waits till the end, that maybe yep. there's some uh, leveraging going on on that. And they're getting kind of un- unhappy, frankly, the Republicans are, <laughs> that they're they're getting rolled over so early on a lot of bills Um that uh, it used to take longer. No, there's no doubt that the, the mood has started to change. It was kind of a wait and see, and now it's a we better do something to try to stand in the way, even though it doesn't matter. Uh, last question. Um, this governor, you know, has had a divided legislature as long as he's been there. He's at times kind of strained to kind of keep his focus. Uh, do you think it's going to be, kind of the the rule is generally governors get about 60% of what they want is just with such a surplus, et cetera, that he can, he can keep everybody happy and he doesn't have to broker deals or does the legislature come to him and say, for instance, on walls checks, you know, we're not going to do that, but you know, we're going to do a, a few other things or do they just stay agreeable till May? Well, uh, the, the interesting thing about, uh, and I'm not calling them walls checks, I'm sorry. Uh, rebate checks is he restructured them, I think, specifically to respond to the complaints from the left side of the DFL, which is that it went to rich people as well as poor people. So by capping it $150,000 in adjusted gross, uh, he has sort of satisfied, I think, their main objection to Wall's checks. And then he he did all the things that they want to do, meaning used to be the House DFL wanted to do in the form of Child care credits, uh, it's not an earned income tax credit anymore. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a child credit. 
Um, those are the kind of things they like to do with money. So I get to do both. I can afford both. And I rejiggered uh, the, the rebate checks to satisfy their concerns about that as well. Um, Social Security is the one I think you mentioned that's kind of interesting. Yep. Does, does uh, the senators in the North uh, Country uh, who are DFLers and who want that fully uh, eliminated, do they end up having to do that? And that's a that's an expensive thing. It's six hundred million dollars. Um, but again, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we get more money in the February forecast. I agree. And that's what the next thing we'll watch for. Peter Callahan, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Good to be here. When we come back, Education Commissioner Willie Jett on his new job and what it's like to interview with the governor who's a teacher. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We are back on Sunday Take, and a guest I've been hoping to talk to, and I'm really happy he's joining me this week, is new Education Commissioner Willie Jett. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Commissioner, and welcome to the job. Well, thank you, sir. Um, Thank you for the nice welcome, and I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to having a conversation with you. You know, one of the things that I've said for the last year or so is that I thought education was going to be one of the top issues um, in the election. I think the Roe decision kind of pushed it aside post-COVID, different things. But just talk about your time before in St. Cloud and um, why you decided you might want to be the commissioner of education in Minnesota at a time when education is really, you know, kind of under a magnifying glass. That magnifying glass, That thank you for the question, that, that magnifying glass in terms of education. Um, I was born and raised in Minnesota, and I come from a family of educators. And so I've always been about access and opportunity. And that access and opportunity was instilled for me at a young age. And, and so being the superintendent in St. Cloud, being a principal in Hopkins, working in the metro area, for me, just being able to ensure that young people have that access and opportunity, that they can actually believe that they can reach their full potential, being someone that likes to protect the student's spirit, you might say. That's what kind of drew me to the position or, or to, to seek the position of commissioner. It's about that impact. Uh, you know, when I was a teacher and a coach, um, you're impacting your classroom, you're impacting your team. You become an administrator, you know, as a, as a principal or assistant principal. All of a sudden, it's a little broader of an impact. And then I became a, a assistant superintendent or a superintendent, and you're impacting um, a whole community or a district. And now in this position as the commissioner of education in Minnesota, you're talking about 880,000 students and in, in all their families. And that just that that impact, that broader impact um, is something I was looking something I'm, I'm looking forward to 
and that to affect that change and to impact lives. You know, one of the things I think about, um, and I try to think about these things in a in a way, either as a parent or you know, intersecting with governors and um, their personalities, profiles, challenges these last few years, um, is just kind of what the conversation might have been like, and uh, how well you might have known Governor Walls or not known him before this. But you know, I would say this: you know, when the Agriculture Commissioner interviews with the governor for a job, it's one thing. When an education commissioner interviews with a teacher for a job, it's probably there's probably some some threads that are pretty common, but there's also probably a little more pressure because he's you know it's not like he's not a subject matter expert on on things you're a subject matter expert on. Talk just in general without you know revealing any secrets, kind of how the conversations went and where you aligned with the governor for him to trust you with this role. Um, so you're right. I knew I was interviewing with what people will say is the, the, the education governor, somebody that has expertise in the field. Um, and so that could be daunting. That could be intimidating. Um, but I actually look forward to the conversation that he and his staff provided. Did I know the governor beforehand? No, I met him as a superintendent when he came to the St. Cloud district or the, the greater Minnesota, but I never really uh, met him and had a real conversation. So I was, Admiring from afar, you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, conversation, I always, you know, listening in the paper or just a couple moments that I spoke to him in the past, I knew there was some common, some common themes, some, some things that I appreciated um, and, and things that I agreed with. Uh, and, and so, you know, within the interview process, people say it's an, you're interviewing for a position, but at that stage in my career, you're also interviewing who you could be working with or for. Yep. And, and so... For me at that point in time, you know, I could I could listen to the questions um, and, and did it fit my personality? And it was just things, like I said earlier, that totally fit. I'm about access and opportunity for kids. Um, and I'm about access and the opportunity for kids, no matter where you live, what zip code, and what you look like. And that theme just resonated um, from the governor, the lieutenant governor, the first lady. And, and so that's what struck a chord for me or with me. And that's when I knew that I would like to be part of that team. And that's when I knew that, okay, they're about young people. And, and that's who I've always been. I've always been about a kid. I'm a product of uh, public schools in Minnesota. I'm a big believer in public schools. I, you know, I have a child who's gone all through public school, and I have a kid who started in public and ended up in uh, private school. Um, what's your message to parents across Minnesota about what they should expect in Minnesota for education? Well, as, as a parent, and, and I'm a parent, um, and, and I have a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old at, at both at the U, and for me, you know, parents, you know, when you're the educator, I, I always believe that they're entrusting you with the, with their most valuable commodity, their, mm-hmm. their child. And, and so I believe they should have the highest expectations possible um, because they want what's best for their child, and, and as educators, that's our job. That's what our focus should be. That's what we should be trying to provide. I, you know, there's parents that will talk to me about, you know, public education, and that's, I'm the commissioner of public education. There's parents that will talk to me about private schools, things of that nature. And what I've always said is, as a parent, I can, I would never tell you what you should or shouldn't do with your child. That is your right, and that is you need to do what you feel is best for your child. But what they should expect, um, as for me as the commissioner of education, what I hope they're looking for, um, 
I, I hope that they're looking for a place where their child feels valued. I hope that they're looking for a place that their child has a connection to some adult within that building. I'm hoping, I think that they should expect that their child is going to be um, challenged, whether they are uh, a college-bound student and, and dealing with IB and, and AP-type courses and honors, whether they are a student that needs extra supports, whether they're uh, a, a student who is new to country, um, or whether they're that student who's in the middle. I think they need to be challenged. I think that we need to have great expectations for students. I think we should support them in their entire um, educational journey. And I believe that they should, um, we sh they should expect that we're supporting the whole child, not just academically, but socially, emotionally wise, um, mental health wise, uh, extracurriculars. I think it, it takes all of us. And I think that should be the expectation. My guest is uh, Commissioner Willie Jett. He's the Commissioner of Education in Minnesota. He was just named a few weeks ago by Governor Walls. Commissioner, um, I I don't want to go into the past because I, I'm a big guy about looking forward, and I think you knew in this job um, it's only fair that we look forward. But you're aware of kind of I, – I would say that the, the big issues or the big controversies or the hot topics of the last few years on education. How do you cool down the dialogue from those that are, you know – they're just trying to kind of stir the pot or they use one example to, you know, try to shame the whole system or, or make an example that may only apply to one district or one school or one teacher. As you're, as you go through that, I call those shiny objects that we all, you know, these things come up and we all look at them and we stare at them for a while and they get a lot of attention, but then ultimately, you know, they're not core to, you know, the, the vast experience of Minnesota kids and students. Um, are, what, are, what are the shiny objects, I guess, that you want Minnesotans to focus on when it comes to our kids and how to come through this next phase in a record year where you're going to have investments in education? What are the shiny objects that the Minnesotans should be thinking about and focused on uh, in our schools? In I totally appreciate that question because, you know, there's there's things that can distract. There, there's rumors and it, things that distract from the real work that takes place in schools. If I'm telling somebody to focus in and I always say clear the noise or, or, mm -hmm. or, or escape the clutter or, or yep. basically saying the same thing that you are. What I would be telling somebody to focus on is how to make sure that your child is connected to school and what adults are connected with. There's so much research about that. I would say focus on um, taking advantage of what's coming. And so with the, the investment that's coming from the governor's office and the budget proposal, I would say, okay, how can that apply to my school specific, the district specific, and my child specific? There are some things that, that when I talk about access and opportunity, there are programs within schools. There's districts all across the state of Minnesota that are doing some transformational or, or what's the word, um, innovative things whether yep. it's whether it's whether it's multi whether it's immersion programs and language whether it's schools that are looking at career and technical education and, and the districts are are looking at different pathways whether it's a district that that has the arts and, and music and things of that nature find that niche for your student for your child um one of the things that i would say in terms of where i'd say keep your eyes on on, on the road is I guess what I'd say is when you just described it earlier and said that there's things that are distractions, 
Yep. It sift it sift through all that and, and put all that aside and see what it is within your district, within your site, within your community that you can take advantage of that, that will prosper or help your student prosper. That's the way I would answer that question. You know, when I've raised, you know, kind of questions privately in my own community, whether it's, you know, grading standards, things like that, mm-hmm. to school board members, uh, you know, they, they rely on their superintendent. They rely on their administration, you know, they, whether it's curriculum or things like that. Um, and, and, and when you say, you know, stay connected, those kinds of things, where one of the things that I think uh, we have to acknowledge is that schools, um, you know, I'm 50, so let's, I'll just put it in perspective. Schools have different challenges now than they had when I went through school or when you and you went through school or when the parents went through school. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, that those, you know, that we need to just, I say, get back to the basics or things like that. But there are things that we're asking schools to do that either aren't about education um, or, you know, they may take resources away from education or time away from classrooms. Um, Where do you think, you know, schools can find that balance or thread the needle on the non-curriculum, non-education things? In this day and age, compared to wait yesteryear and, and yesteryear yeah. is when I, was, when I went to school and, and so you know you were focused back then and I'm not to say the basics but you know reading writing arithmetic there people had or students we were afforded more family involvement per se um, the community rallied around it was just a set prescriptive way of going to school and in this day and age um, schools are having to provide a little bit of everything Okay, yep. you're you're doing academics. You might be doing, um, I want to say, childcare in terms of a place because families are working. Yep. Uh, you might, you might have to have the mental health and counseling and, and social emotional supports. Um, you you might be doing. Um, the, the, you're definitely doing a transportation, which that was always, but now you're you're trying to transport not just before school, after school, extracurricular activities, um, and, and so. Your question, I believe, now now I need to know the second part of the question. So I was just rephrasing the question. No, that's, you were asking. no so, so how do we balance? How do we find the balance between these kind of non-core curriculum pieces and um, curriculum and ready for school or ready for college or ready for that next phase, ready for high school, those kinds of things? How do we find that balance? I think we find that balance together, okay? And so I'm gonna use that word together um, because there's gonna be some families that are gonna require more of you and there's gonna be some families that require less of you as a school district or, or as an administrator, as a superintendent, as a teacher. I think we have to have that dialogue. I think we have to come together and figure out what that balance is. If I'm in St. Cloud and the, the student population there, that balance looks different than if I'm in potentially Osseo schools or, or Edina schools or when I was a principal in Hopkins, there was a different, you had to, you had to surround the whole child, but you may have taken resources and done it differently according to, to the community that you're living in. And so I think it starts with conversation. I think it starts with um, planning. I think it, it starts with listening to parents and, and staff members, but also ultimately students, because they're going to tell you what they need. And a lot of times we don't necessarily listen to the student. 
as adults, we always like to believe that we know what's best. What is that TV show? Father, father knows best from way yeah. back in the day. Um, and, and being that I'm father, yep, I do believe in that TV show now. Fathers knows best. But there are times when young people can share some things and some insight as you are getting ready to provide what that whole child support should look like, that they have some insight into that. Uh, as we wrap here, we're talking to uh, Commissioner Willie Jack, Commissioner of Education of Minnesota. He's new on the job. Um, in two years, assuming you're still in the job, what is, what is, how do you measure success? Hmm. I'm giving you two years, Commissioner, not one yeah. year, not six nope. months. Well, I, I heard it, and, and so I wanted to say thank you in advance. Um, <laughs> and, and so two years from now, and, and that's – that's actually a question that I used to always ask someone. Um, and, and so now you're flipping that question back to me. And so that's interesting. Two years from now, I would, if, how would I know I'm successful? If families, if, if students are telling me that they're, that they're feeling good about self and their experiences within school. I'm someone who's a real proponent of a young person's spirit. If people, if kids are feeling connected, if they're believing they have access and opportunity, then I believe that they're going to be productive members of society, um, no matter what path they choose. So two years from now, would, would I, am I concerned about test scores? Yep, that's, that's one measure. Am I concerned about graduation rates? Yes, that's one, me- that's one measure. And of course, I want kids to be graduating. That is the ultimate, that's how you leave your, your uh, pre-K through 12 experience is the ultimate is everybody graduating. Um, I would like to see more kids involved in early childhood. Two years from now, I'd like to see that number rising. I always believe in if you can start them early and start them before they get to school and they enter um, enter school already prepared, then you're going to see the fruits of your labor, probably not two years from now, but you're going to see the fruits of your labor in how they're performing in first grade and second grade. You're going to be able to measure that. Um, but then that's going to impact their entire educational journey. So two years from now, um, the, the simplest way I would put it, and it might not be what everybody wants to hear because everybody wants to have this technical answer to that, but I want kids and families to be feeling good about self. I want them to be feeling good that they are in the right place, that they are in the right state, that they are in the school, in the community, in the state, that's the place to be. And if people have that feeling, then we're moving towards success for me. I also, can I, can I add something to that? You can. What I would add, what I would add to that is, um, staff, because what I haven't talked about is um, the adults that are providing everything that you and I have been talking about. And so for me, I also want staff to feel good about the profession, for them to be recruited, retained, for them to feel that they that they are valued and that they're contributing to this society. I think if you have that complete buy-in, and when I said um, that it's the place to be, not only as a family, not only as a student, but it's a place to be as the adult working with young people, whether you're the cook, the custodian, the licensed staff, um, just so it's a, that it feels like the place to be. That would be my answer. Well, that's good. Uh, I think it's, I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and so I'm going to add one here as kind of an audible staff, teachers, recruiting, counselors, how do we get them here? Those kinds of things. Obviously, that's a big initiative. We have a labor shortage that uh, we knew was coming for 20 years due to baby boomers retiring. Um, I'm not going to say that Commissioner Jett is the re- reason we don't have teachers, but <laughs> how do we get how do we get people to the profession? You've been a teacher. You've been a superintendent. 
it, it's one of the it, it's probably you know one of the first steps you got to figure out to two years or four years or six years kind of restabilize what people have felt the last three or four years that question and you talk about recruiting and I'm yep. use that in a in a prior life of mine um, I worked in casinos in Las Vegas and you had to recruit oh. people to come there and I was a college basketball coach so you had to recruit um, students from across the country to join your university and so this moment when you're talking about recruiting as a uh, as a former teacher and and then as a principal and then as a superintendent the what you just named in terms of staff needing to feel valued that that they that it's a place for them to be and that they're that they're cared for that their self-esteem is being enriched that they're feeling that they are doing something positive for young people i've recognized that that is key um and so what the the very foundation of some of it is just making sure that our students are having a positive experience so that's one so that they actually want to become teachers and, and in that, you got to support teachers with pay. You have to support teachers with that respect. Um, you got to make sure that they're getting the tools that they need to succeed. Um, and then that fosters that to make it so it's a place to be. And, you know, I've, I've had some experience with that um, in the St. Cloud area in a, in a place where the community was changing um, at record speeds. And, 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 and that's about it's not just the superintendent or the education community. I'm doing that. That's one of those ones where you're working with local agencies and, and the local government so that you can make it so that here in the state of Minnesota or, or if you're specific to a community, that that teacher says, ah, I want to be there. Oh, I'm valued there. Oh, my lived experience um, is something that will benefit students, but it's okay for me to have that in that setting. And, and so that's how you start to tackle that just with some of those things that I just mentioned. Commissioner Jed, I know we'll talk down the line. I want to thank you for joining me on Sunday Take. You got it, sir. Thank you for the invitation. When we come back, this week's take, accountability. Why? It's not bad, but everybody gets so offended. I'm Blois Olson, next on Sunday Take. Welcome back to Sunday Take. You know, this week is Let's Kick Hunger Week, and one of the groups that's long supported fighting hunger in Minnesota is the Minnesota Corn Growers. And this is the Minnesota Corn Growers Sustainability Minute. You know, the fact is the corn and corn growers are concerned about hunger, feeding people. After all, food is powerful. Food needs access to people who need food. And Minnesota Corn Growers have done that. And it's part of a way you think about sustainability differently. Minnesota corn growers have long believed that making sure you partner with those locally to make sure they have what they need is critical. Nutrition, food will help our kids in school as we hear about it. And that's not just because of Let's Kick Hunger Day, it's all year round for Minnesota corn growers. In fact, 15,000 students across Minnesota are helped by Minnesota corn growers in understanding ag education. Because if you understand how agriculture works, you understand how agriculture feeds Minnesota and Minnesota corn growers 
are at the core of that in Minnesota. Young people need to be passionate and they need to know about food and agriculture. So it's not just agriculture. It's do they want to be a chef? Do they want to work in food science? In order to keep food growing, to keep us fed as our population grows across the world, we need the research of Minnesota corn growers to make sure that soil health and the environment are at the forefront. After all, it's Minnesota's farmers. 99% of Minnesota farmland is family owned. And it is those families that feed Minnesota and keep us growing and sustained. That's the Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn Growers. Learn more at mncorn.org. You know, this week I was at the Capitol, and one of the pieces at the Capitol that I've been watching is the pace of play or the pace of progress. With DFLers in charge of the executive branch, the legislative branch, there has just been a speed and a pace that everyone has talked about and everyone has observed, but I wanted to see it for myself. So when I was there, you could tell that staff and legislators and media and lobbyists are all, quote, trying to keep up. And Melissa Hortman, the Speaker of the House, said early on, LFG, let's go. Minnesotans are tired of gridlock. Let's get some things done. And when they did that tax conformity bill, they should be applauded. And when they moved quickly on unemployment benefits, they should be applauded. But some of these bills, 200 pages or longer, are getting a lot of attention, but maybe not the in-depth hearing or the in-depth debate that they need. After all, 35% of the legislature is new, and they're learning the ropes. Are they going to be left behind? Are they going to understand the educative process? Or is it the partisan joy of just getting things done? And we'll worry about the details later. Of course, the DFLers can't be stopped from passing things if they all agree and the governor wants to sign it. But to put it in perspective, Speaker Hortman put out a tweet on Friday that showed that there have been 968 bill introductions in the House, 836 in the Senate. Compare that to 2021 when there were 526 introductions in the House and 478 in the Senate. Compare that to 2019, when there were 632 bill introductions in the House and 760 in the Senate. So yes, the pace of bill introductions, the pace of hearings, the pace of committee reports is higher. At this point in 2021, there had only been 14 committee reports. There are 100 this year in the House. And in the Senate in 2021, there had only been 12 committee reports issued. This year, 41. It's not that Minnesotans don't agree with what Democrats are trying to do. It's that some of these issues are not the issues that people were talking about. Codifying abortion was one of the top three issues in the last election. And, of course, Democrats would do that. In fact, it's expected to be signed by Governor Walls this week. But did we see the details? Did Minnesotans have time for debate and discussion and really understand what the bill meant? Probably not. And it will become 
the fodder of direct mail in future campaigns. But let's be clear. When people rush, mistakes happen. Not big mistakes, maybe big mistakes, maybe little mistakes. But ultimately, some of this legislation may have to be tweaked or changed. And then the legislature will go back. Remember last year with the THC bill that was not clearly debated and opened up. And now local municipal governments are having challenges with it. It's not to say that Democrats are on the wrong track, but it's to say, take your time. You have till May. Dig into these bills, especially new legislators, and at least make sure the printers can keep up with all these bills being introduced and printed and signed on to. Because after all, if you don't pump the brakes, you're likely to run over some people. And after the last six years, we know that arrogance is not healthy in our political dialogue. I'm Blaise Olson, and that's this week's take. This week, I'll be with Vanita 620, Monday through Thursday. Sign up for our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. Until next week, that's Sunday Take. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 